I always find the catchiest uh, songs for our, our sermon bumpers song. I, I want to make that like my ringtone. I like that. I like that. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Sherwood Oaks Bedford. If you are new with us this morning, my name is Sean. I'm the, I'm the campus minister here and just very glad that you came out to worship with us, join us this morning. Uh, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you uh, just humbly this morning knowing that, um, man, I, at least for me, I don't have life figured out and I certainly... Uh, don't always make the best of choices. Uh, and there are times when I just look around going, what in the world is going on? I don't, I don't even know how to make sense of this. But Lord, just thank you that you are a God who is faithful to us. You are a God who is so gracious and kind to us. You are patient with me. And if you're patient with me, then Lord, you're patient with us all. And we just uh, come to you humbly this morning going, Lord, we don't have it all figured out. And, and we really just want to hear from, from you, the one who does, the one who created us, who knows us better than we even know ourselves. And, and Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning in this, in, with this idea of faith, whether, whether we've been following Jesus and we've been believing for, for years, or, or Lord, maybe even today, we're just taking our very first steps of faith. I pray, God, that you will meet us right where we are, that you will challenge us and, and equip us and shape us more and more into the image of Jesus and give us the courage to surrender our wills and our lives to you and follow Jesus more. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, so what, one of my favorite things to do as a, as a minister is just kind of sit down and listen to people's stories. And, and it's, uh, it's a, certainly a heavy responsibility in, in this position that I'm in, uh, but it's one that I, I always greatly appreciate because I know um, the vulnerability that it takes just to share your story. And many of the stories that, that I hear are stories of pain, uh, stories of loss, of life not really turning out the way that maybe you thought that it was, it was going to. Um, sometimes I hear stories of people who are afraid. They're afraid of what the future might hold. They're afraid of the road ahead because of the diagnosis or, or maybe this, the, the confusion, like you're hoping for a diagnosis and you're, you're afraid of what is in, in between. I hear stories of joy as well, you know, stories of families being reunited, of people serving beyond themselves and finding just greater purpose and meaning in their lives as they give their, their life away. But my favorite stories to hear uh, typically are, 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 are these stories of, of faith. And, and all of those, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that kind of, there's faith that's, that's wound up into that. But I'm, I'm talking about those stories of faith where, where you just kind of reflect on the ways that God has, has moved and worked or is working in, in your life. And in fact, if, if you're here today, it means that you have a faith story. You have a faith story. Just the fact that you are here today means that you have a faith story. And some of yours, it may be just a couple of sentences or a couple of paragraphs long. Uh, for some of you, your faith story could fill an entire book. But the fact that you're here right now means that you have a faith story. And <laughs> even if that faith story involves someone dragging you to church. I mean, that's, that's like... <laughs> That's a part of a faith story as, as well, and God works through many a relatives who said, no, you're coming to church with me this morning, whether you like it or not. Uh, one of my faith stories I've had the, the opportunity to share quite a bit lately is, is my conversion to Christianity. I'll tell you, every time I, I, I think about what God did in my life, where he brought me from, uh, it, I just, 
I'm amazed by his grace and by his, his faithfulness. Some of you heard before, uh, I came to faith uh, the summer after graduating from, from high school. I didn't grow up going to, to church. Uh, my, family, my parents were amazing people, but just church wasn't a, a part of our life. And so uh, we tried once or twice growing up. It didn't really go very well, and so we, uh, we never really tried again. And but God had, was gracious, and he was kind, and, and he... Uh, put a couple of people in my life that were good, solid Christian influences. Uh, one of them was my grandma and grandpa Green. I talked about them last week. Uh, and then another one was my best friend's parents, uh, Bill and Linda Strickland. The Stricklands uh, were, were just an incredible spiritual influence to me. And you know, growing up, I, I found that I was always spiritually curious, but I didn't really know what to do with that curiosity. And I remember having conversations that just went nowhere with some of my relatives. And like, I wanted to know, like, is there truth? What's, what's out there? Is there something beyond just just what we know and what we see. And um, one of the places that I found that my spiritual curiosity was piqued was at a place called Camp Ileana down in Washington, Indiana. Anybody familiar with Camp Ileana? Just a, an amazing, amazing place. And, and we would go there. Um, my, my grandparents, Mark's parents, would encourage us to go to a week of camp every summer. And so through high school, we would go. And I'd come back from that week of camp just like committing, okay, Lord, this is the year. Like, this is the year when it's going to be different. I want, I want my, my life to be lived for you. I want to follow Jesus. But I'd go back into a structure where there was, there was nothing to really support that. And that faith that I really wanted so badly just kind of dissipated. And I went back right into my old habits as a, as a high schooler. And then the, the summer after graduation came, getting ready to go to, to IUPUI to study physical therapy. And Mark and I decided, hey, let's just go to camp one more time. And so we went to Camp Ileana just to kind of last hurrah, say goodbye to, to some friends. And it was that week of camp, actually on Thursday night worship, that, that God just got a hold of my life, that his, his love and his grace became real to me um, for the very first time and made the decision to follow Jesus that night. And, and as I was walking through the dorms that evening, uh, there, was a, there was a gentleman named Sobek Song, who was a camp team member for uh, Lincoln Christian College, who was sitting there, and he looked at me, and he said, man, you've got a big smile on your face. What's going on? And so I shared with him what had happened, that, hey, I, I gave my life to the Lord tonight. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't even know what this means, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And he said, well, what are you going to do now? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, college starts in a couple of weeks, and so I'll probably just go do that. And he challenged me in that moment. He said, Sean, you made that decision before you made Jesus the Lord of your life. And, and if Jesus really is the Lord of your life, then that means like he's in control. He's, he's the leader here. And so what do you think about maybe just taking a year, going to Bible college? Everything will transfer if you decide, no, this isn't for me. But just to get a little bit of a faith foundation. I said, hey, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. I think I'll do that. I was up for anything at that moment. And uh, I remember laying in my, my camp dorm bed that night. I was on the, the, the second bed of, a, of bunk beds, staring at the ceiling that was right here. And I vividly remember that night going, Lord, I will go to Lincoln. Just please, 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 please don't make me a preacher, a youth minister, or a missionary. I don't want to have anything to do with, with any of that. And so I went home the next day. And had to have a difficult conversation with my parents. Now imagine, put, your, put yourself in my parents' shoes. Uh, your, your son's about ready to go to college. I was the first one in my family to attend college. And so like, we've been kind of preparing for this. Everything was set. And I come in and I tell them, hey, not only am I now a Christian, 
but all these plans that we've been working towards, I'm throwing it out the window, and I'm going to go to to Lincoln. And I remember my dad, again, just great guy, but just thought, "Ah, my son, you're you're throwing away your life. You're throwing this opportunity away. Like, he wanted a better life for me than what he, he had, and he felt like I was just throwing my life away. My mom was in the corner. She had this little rocking chair that was in the corner of her bedroom. My mom was crying because she thought that I had joined a cult. Like, true story. True story. My mom thought that I had joined a cult. So I convinced them, like, hey, no, I think that that this is legit. Let's just go and check it out. And so just a few days later, uh, we found ourselves um, on the campus of Lincoln Christian College checking it out. There were some administrators who agreed to meet with my parents they convinced them, hey, listen, we're accredited. Even if he, you know, if, you, if he comes to your senses and his senses in your mind, it's all going to transfer. So he's not out anything. You're not out anything. So like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So we left there. My parents, not fully convinced, but they realized oh, this, this place is legit. That's fine if you want to do this. Well, then my grandparents' church, that little church in, uh, in between Worthington and Linton, Indiana, Lincoln Christian Church, that I would go to during the summers, they caught wind of what had happened in my life. And so they asked me to come and share my testimony uh, that following Sunday morning. And so I went in front of this small country church out in the middle of cornfields, and I shared with them what the Lord was doing in my life. And this was back in the days of, of bag phones, all right? This was 1998, and my dad had a bag phone, which meant we got free nights and weekends. Uh, remember those days, Yes. And so we were, we were driving back, and my dad's, my dad's bag phone started to, to ring, and he picked it up, and it was an elder from that little country church that my grandparents attended, saying that as long as Sean is in Bible college, we want to pay his tuition. And this church picked up my tuition um, for my entire time at Lincoln. And at that point, my, my parents said, okay, this sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're making the, the right decision here. And I say all that because, I mean, not, not to say, wow, look at how that, that's such a cool story of, you know, you stepping out on faith. That's not what it is. My story of faith is more about God being faithful to me than me being faithful to him. But I tell, like, every time I tell that story, it's just amazing all of the things that God did within the span of 10 days. 10 days. That's all that it was. 10 days, Jesus wrecked my life. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Wouldn't have it any other way. And when I tell that story, I'm just, uh, it just reinvigorates my own faith of how good God is and how faithful he has been to me. And the truth is, is that you have a faith story too. You've got a faith story too. Some of you, that story is being written. Chapters of it are being written right now. But you've got a faith story. And we could spend the rest of the day listening to people come up here and share all of the ways that the Lord has, has worked and moved in, in their lives. And, and while each of the stories that we would hear in this moment, like it, they, would be, they would be unique stories of how God has specifically worked in, in your life, I think that there's some common threads that we would see woven into every, every story. We would find some, some consistent elements in every story. Someone categorized them into five different things that the Lord uses in our life to, to kind of grow our faith. And chances are uh, one of these things or multiple of these things you would find in, in your own faith story. And the, and the first one is this. It's practical teaching. 
You were in a Bible study, you heard a sermon, someone showed you something in Scripture that you'd never really seen before, and it just kind of hit, and, 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 and just the thought about it just changed your life. Like, the, the Scripture became real. It's not just like this ancient book that, that you have to dust off every now and then, but that you realize, man, this, this, these words are true, and they are relevant even in my life today, and there was someone or something that, 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 that just caused this practical teaching in your life that, that made your faith begin to, to grow. Another one is providential relationships. You met someone at school, you met uh, someone at work, a, a neighbor, someone who was a Christian and their faith led you to a place of deeper faith. Maybe they encouraged you, hey, come to church with me just this one time, we'll buy you lunch afterwards. And, and you went and through that relationship, God got a hold of your heart and your life. Maybe the person lovingly encouraged you or challenged you to follow Jesus more closely. Third thing is private disciplines. Maybe you started reading your Bible, you started praying more, you started fasting, all of a sudden you started noticing the Lord more and more in your daily life. You, you became more aware of his presence as you walked throughout your day and, and you started seeing him move in new and exciting ways and your faith began to grow. Another one's personal ministry. You, you stepped out on faith, you served people in, in ways that maybe felt uncomfortable to you at first, but now you can't imagine doing anything different. <laughs> you serve people who can never pay you back, and you find it to be incredibly rich and rewarding in ways you never thought imaginable. And so now you find yourself reallocating your time and your money, two of your greatest assets. You're reallocating those for the good of those that you're serving, and it's changed your life, and it's growing your faith. Finally, pivotal circumstances. I think this is a big one for many of us that, that God uses to not just get our attention, but to also grow our faith. These pivotal circumstances, something happens in your life and it becomes kind of a line in the sand moment for you. You know that once you cross that line, then there's no turning back. Like everything's going to be different. Nothing's going to be the same. A pivotal circumstance could be anything from a diagnosis to getting married to having kids. Like how many people would say, that was a pivotal circumstance in my life. I realized I need to get my act together. That's why so many people, when they start having kids, they're like, yeah, we decided we needed to come back to church because we have no idea what we're doing and <laughs> we need help. And so for me, as we look at that, that list and kind of think through the story that I told, and there's, there's two of them that really stick out, the providential relationships in, you know, my grandparents, the Stricklands, um, Sobeck that I met the, the night uh, there at Camp Ileana. Providential relationships certainly play a part, and then pivotal circumstances. That, that night at Camp Ileana for me it kind of became that line in the sand moment where everything changed and I began to, to walk by faith. And, and chances are that if you began to share your story this morning, you would, you would look at that list and you'd say, yeah, you know, there's some of these things are, are what, like a catalyst that God used to, to grow my faith even, even more. Chances are that one or two of these things would find themselves winding into your, your story. And the same is true for the people in our text today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And following Matthew chapter 4, we'll also have the words up on the screen so that you can follow along, but we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 this morning. So we're in a new series today kicking off. Uh, we're going to spend the next several weeks in called Live Like Jesus. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to be taking a deep dive into looking into like how Jesus lived 
We, we just finished up a series last week called Bring Your Own God, this idea that we bring like some of our own misconceptions and understanding into like who we think God is, how he acts, what his nature, what his character is like. And oftentimes more, we, we form and create an, an image of God in our own image rather than just letting God reveal himself to us and, and following and, and being faithful to, to him in that way. And, and what we see a couple of times throughout the New Testament is that if you really want to know what the Father is like, you look at the Son. If you really want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus because he is the exact representation of God's being. Uh, and so we're going to look at, at Jesus over the next eight weeks to see a clear picture of who God is and what he's like and, and then what it means to follow Jesus and to help others learn and follow Jesus as well. Because that is believers, as Christians, as members of a church, like that's what we ought to be about. It's about us following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus too. In fact, that's even our our mission statement here, people helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. We want to raise up people who are following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus too. So every single one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have been called to both become a disciple and to make disciples. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking more about how Jesus did that and what we can learn from the way that he lived. Now, a very basic definition of discipleship that I find helpful is discipleship is, is becoming more like Jesus in attitude and action. So discipleship is not sitting in a classroom listening to somebody teach about the Bible. It's not, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is about becoming more like Jesus. Now, sitting in a classroom listening to somebody talk about the Bible is a way towards becoming more like Jesus. But I think too often in the, in the church, we've made that the end. Like, if, if, you're just a, if you're just a part of a group, if you're just learning more in your head, then, then you've arrived at discipleship and being a disciple. But being a disciple is really about taking what is in here, moving it to your heart, and then living that out, becoming more and more like Jesus in your attitude and your actions. It means that we, as we grow in our faith and as the Holy Spirit does his work uh, through those five things that we looked out earlier, as all of this happens, if we're truly following Jesus, then we should notice and others should begin to notice in us that we are becoming more like Jesus in our attitude and in our action. It should be evident in the way that we live. And the key aspect to Jesus' attitude and actions, especially when it comes to disciple-making, comes down to the word relationships. Jesus modeled for us a relational way to, to live. He, he not only invites us into a relationship with him, but then he sends us out to, to make relationships with, with others, just as he did with his first disciples. Look at our text with me, Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. We're going to kind of Take this piece by piece here this morning. And so Matthew captures this account like this in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, it's important to, to know here that, that this isn't the first time that Jesus and Andrew and Peter interacted with one another. This wasn't like Jesus just walking by the Sea of Galilee. He looks over, he sees them, and this is their very first interaction. In fact, in fact, Peter and Andrew at this point would probably already consider themselves to be Jesus' disciples. They would already consider themselves to be Jesus' disciples. 
John 1, 35 through 42 tells us that Andrew spent some time with Jesus one day. Andrew was kind of a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, there he is. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And Andrew was like, hey, John, it's been fun. I'm with this guy now. And he started following Jesus. And Jesus looked back and he's like, hey, what do you want? And, and Andrew said, Man, I want to I know more. And Jesus says, okay, come with me. And at the end of that interaction, Andrew went back to his brother Peter and he said, I have found the Messiah, come. And so Peter and Andrew both went to, to Jesus. And this relationship between the three of them was formed. And so some believe that by the time we actually get to Matthew chapter 4, Peter and Andrew have already been Jesus' disciples for about 18 months. But now... Things are about to change. Now, there is a pivotal circumstance that's about ready to happen. A line is being drawn in the sand, and there's a moment that's about to come that's going to change both of them forever. Verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. This wasn't an invitation, come follow me. This wasn't an invitation just to go for a casual walk around the neighborhood and talk. This was an invitation to a whole new way of living. This was an invitation to follow Jesus wherever he went, to live with him, to, to go through the good and the bad times with him. It was a call to leave everything behind and to enter into this journey with him, to learn from him, to serve with him. This was an invitation into a deeper relationship with Jesus than what they had ever experienced before. And how did they respond? Verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once they dropped everything and followed Jesus. Other translations say immediately. Some others say instantly, however you want to translate it. The idea is that, is that Andrew and Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, yeah, just give us a moment. Like, we need to go and, and finish some things up here first. They didn't say, you know, Jesus, business is going really well right now. Uh, can we just wait until the slower months, and then we'll, we'll come and, and follow you? They dropped everything immediately, and they entered into a deeper relationship with him. They they, they entered into this relationship that was now built on trust and surrender. So leaving their nets and their boats and their families behind, they started following Jesus. But it's important for us to realize in, in our own walk with, with Jesus that, that Jesus doesn't just call us away from something. He also calls us to something. And, and the same is true with Andrew and Peter. Jesus did not just call them away from fishing. He also called them to something that was even better. For instance, Jesus calls them away from the mundane and into an adventure. He calls them away from the mundane and into an adventure. For Andrew and Peter, it was just another day in the office and and the call of Jesus came out of the blue. They They were just busy making a living as fishermen and providing for their families and their community. But Jesus had bigger and better ambitions for them. He had an adventure in store for them that they could never imagine. He invited them to join him in it. And I think for so many people, when they think about following Jesus, am I done? All right. So uh, thanks for coming, everybody. Have a great day. (laughs) I think for so many people, when they they think about following Jesus, they think that the, the opposite is true. Instead of Jesus calling us out of the mundane and into an adventure, they think of Jesus as calling us out of an adventure and into the mundane. 
He calls us out of the adventure and into the mundane. And I'll be honest, like that was kind of what I thought too. As, as I was praying that night, Lord, don't make me a preacher, a youth minister, a missionary. My thought was, that sounds so lame. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. But I'll tell you what, following Jesus over the last 20 years has been anything but boring. Following Jesus has led me to places around the world where I've had a chance to teach and learn from people who live in much different cultures than me, much different backgrounds. And, and, and he's, he's called me to places I never thought, I mean, Providence, Rhode Island and Bedford, Indiana, two places never thought that Jesus would lead. But here, here I am. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And I bet that if you start to think about all the places that the Lord has led you, all the things that he's done in your life, you'll look back and you'll go, man, where would I be without Jesus? He's inviting us into all of that. He's inviting us into an adventure. He's calling us out of the mundane, predictable life where everyone just chases after the same thing. We're caught up in this rat race trying to compete with others and compare with others. Jesus is saying, just leave that. I've got something so much better in store for you. And that's what he's doing for you. It doesn't matter your age, your stage of life. Jesus is calling you out of the mundane and into an adventure. Next, we see that Jesus calls them away from comfort and into the unknown. It, because really, the easiest thing in the world would have been for them just to continue being fishermen. Like, they knew that profession inside and out. They were evidently really good at it, too. Uh, Peter had a, a home in Bethsaida and a home in Capernaum where, where his, his mother-in-law did. And so, like, Peter was really good at what he did. He was making a good living for himself, for his family, for his children, they knew how to catch fish. This was easy for them, but Jesus calls them into an entirely new vocation. He calls them to something completely different. One that they probably didn't even fully understand when they left everything to follow him. Like us, Jesus called them to surrender their comfort and to step out into the unknown. And I'm wondering, is Jesus calling you to step out of the unknown, out of your comfort, or out of the known and out of your comfort into something unknown. Finally, Jesus called Andrew and Peter away from solitude and into a journey together. You know, not only would they follow Jesus, but then more and more and more would, would join them. In fact, we, we read the, the concluding words of, of Jesus calling these first followers. Verse 21 and 22, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. A second pair of fishermen left everything behind, including their father. Matthew makes note to tell us that twice. Left everything behind to follow into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And the point of this is, is this, that if we want to be disciples who make disciples, if we want our attitudes and our actions to, to really reflect Jesus, if we want to help others do the same, we must be willing to step away from the mundane and into an adventure. We must be willing to step out of our comfort zone and into the unknown, away from solitude and into a journey together. And for a lot of people, that call is too much to bear. And they'd rather just meander in the monotony of life. Come to church on Sunday morning, throw a little into the plate, try to be the best person that you can be, and miss out on the adventure that Jesus is calling us all into.
If we want to go into this deeper relationship with Jesus, the only way to do it is just surrendering our will and following him, serving others how he served and loving them as he loved us. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine introduced me to these things called six-word memoirs. Are you familiar with, with these? Ever seen these? Six-word memoirs. It, it actually started um, all, all the way back when uh, a friend of Ernest Hemingway's challenged him to write an entire story in only six words. Write an entire story in only six words. After a while, this is what he came up with. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. And those six words tell a story, don't they? Tell a story. In fact, first time I read them, they put a lump in my throat thinking about our own miscarriage that happened just days after our baby furniture had arrived at our home. Those six words tell a story of pain and sorrow that all too many of us in this room are familiar with. A lot can be said in six words. From there, the challenge grew and, and people started sending in and, and submitting not just a story in six words, but, but trying to capture their entire life in six words. Now there's an entire website dedicated to these sometimes sad, sometimes funny, but always concise stories. And here are some of my, my favorites. This first one, it all changed in an instant. That tells a story, doesn't it? We don't know what it was, but it all changed in an instant. <laughs> this next one, lighten the mood a little bit. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, <laughs> anybody ever been there before? <laughs> next one, life gives lemons, but no juicer. <laughs> Left to kind of figure it out on our own, aren't we? This final one, not quite what I had planned. That's probably a pretty good summary for most of our lives. Not quite what I had planned. You see, we can tell our, our life story, and, and, and we can use thousands of words to tell our story. But sometimes, as we see in these, only six will do. And the same can be said about discipleship. We, we can describe discipleship using thousands of words. I mean, entire volumes have been written about discipleship. But really, you don't even need six. In fact, you can do it with just three words. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. In the end, discipleship and disciple-making really just boils down to this. Jesus looking at you right now, his, his hand outstretched saying, come, follow me. Are you willing to leave the mundane behind and enter into an adventure with me? Are you willing to leave the predictable behind and step into the unknown with me? Come follow me wherever you are, whatever you're doing, no matter how important, no matter how mundane, nothing is greater than the call into a relationship with Jesus that will change your life when you follow him. Are you willing to take your next step of faith this morning? Would you stand with me? And I'll pray. Lord, oftentimes, your, your word is incredibly convicting. And Jesus, um, 
thank you that when you walked this earth and you called people to follow you, I mean, it, it wasn't, hey, follow me and. It was, it was follow me. Leave everything behind, your ambitions, your drive, your goal. Leave, leave that and come and find new ambitions and new drive and new goals with me. And Lord, there are so many times in my life where I have settled for less. And I imagine I'm not the only one in this room that would say that. But Lord, you want to build your kingdom here on earth. You want more and more people to come know about the saving grace that is found in Jesus, the hope that is only found in him. And you call us to step out of the boat into an adventure. Lord, nothing, nothing ever changes just by settling with the mundane of life. It takes courage to step out in faith to make a difference in the lives of others, which will then make a difference in a community, in a state, in a nation, and in this world. And so, Lord, right here in Bedford, Indiana, right here, God, in this place, Father, may we lead the charge in stepping out and following you. May we lead the charge in just surrendering our wills and our ways to you and saying, God, here I am, send me, use me. I take up my cross to follow you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and thank you that you are a God who can use us no matter where we are. Father, you are a God of love. You are a God who is kind. You are a God who is constantly beckoning us into a deeper relationship with you made available through Jesus. And I'm grateful for it and it's in his name that I pray. Amen.